switched it up. Good morning. We are in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. So if you want to turn back, we're going to finish off Revelation. I figure we got about six weeks left in Revelation so we can get uh, the end. This is the beginning of the end for Satan. We see in chapter 17 and 18, as we reviewed just a little bit, we saw, as you recall maybe, that the world is given over to this false religion. It's referred to as Babylon in there. And I think what you'll see is that the world prostitutes itself to that religion. Um, What could that world religion be? It could be several things. I think it's pretty much any religion that doesn't point to Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, What would be a popular religion that looks like Christianity um, but isn't? You got to be a good person. Uh, I would call that secularism. Okay? So... Uh, you're just going to do good for you, and, and if you do good enough, then you'll be able to get to heaven. That's the, the root of secularism. That's not what Christianity preaches. Um, we preach that God is good, and God is loving, and that's the way we are able to make it to heaven and things, because we are not good. We are born sinners. I know I just broke it to somebody this morning. Um, we are born evil. We have a desire to... Uh, for self-preservation, and that desire will always trump our desire to serve other people. Um, is it Night? Is that the book by that uh, guy that I read, the Jewish guy? Yeah, it's a book titled Night. It's by um, a Jewish author, and I can't remember what his... I can, almost got it, but I can't remember his name. Um, what's that? Yes, Eli Weissel. Yes, if you've ever read that book, it does a really good job of pointing to man as basically evil. Because when it comes down, how would he know that? He went through uh, the Holocaust, and then he writes about it. And he said, everybody, uh, preachers, um, rabbis, it didn't matter who they were. As they walked through, they all found out that when it came down to sharing their little to nothing with somebody else, they're always going to choose themselves. Well, he, he, that was one of his observations. Uh, they, they may preach to, to share, but if, he, he, if they, anybody saw an extra morsel on the ground, they're not going to give it up and give it to uh, somebody younger than them. They would always choose uh, to take it themselves. And then he, he goes to the ultimate where he um, chooses himself over his uh, some of his family members in there too, and it's it's like wow, uh, but that is that is humanity at its rawest and probably most wickedest. Um, trying to find some good out of that um, is very very difficult. So as he walks through that, though, um, he he does come to a conclusion that um, there there are glimpses of hope. There are glimpses of uh, things that we need to walk through and and come alongside, and we can't ever let that evil come again. And that was one of the conclusions that he drew in that book. It's a very, very good book. Uh, It's called Night by, what's his first name? Eli Weissel, right? Yes. I have a copy, I think, maybe in my office. I got to dig for it. So in chapter 17, we see them prostituting themselves to this world religion, which probably is a world religion of self. 
and uh, do as you want to. Uh, get out of life what you can. Uh, make sure you get for you and your own so nobody can steal from you. And the world will bow to her, and sin will abound in this world religion. It'll be a blasphemy against God and against the Holy Spirit. And twenty and. Chapter 18, we see this woman, this slash religion, come crashing down, betrayed by the one she loves. It'll be a government system set up by Satan himself. And as she pledges herself to Satan, he wickedly abandons her because he doesn't want to share his glory with anyone. And that's where they find themselves, the people they mourn over her loss, they mourn over uh, the good times are not rolling anymore. And in midst of all this destruction, God has set his people apart in his chosen place. Some of that will be in heaven, some of that will be possibly Jerusalem, um, some people, or it will be in paradise, one of those three and in chapter 19's case, that is, I think it's going to be heaven, the place where God dwells is what it says in chapter 19. And there are voices of, of those who resist the world and they have overcome by the blood of the lamb. And that brings us to our main point today is in Jesus Christ, we know we are victorious. Let us join the resistance to overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb. So let's get into Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. After this, I heard what was sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Well, what just happened? We saw all this destruction of the world. We saw God beginning to reign, and um, they realized that God is more powerful than they are because they went to face God and they lost, okay? So praise, praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse two, he judges, his judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants and again their voices ring out. Praise the Lord, the smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. And they cried out, Amen, and praise the Lord. So our first point this morning is praise God, all his creation. There is an aspect of salvation here. Jesus is coming back. The resistance wins. Those who follow Jesus are going to be the winners. We have the end of the story, folks, right here. Christ defeats death. He defeats the wicked. He brings his justice and has the victory. The 24 elders are worshiping and praising God. They have learned to put the truth into action. They've learned serving and walking humility. We also see this pictured way back in chapter 4, right, where they bow down and worship him. Now we see it a second time here where 
Um, they are worshiping him in an act of finality. It is closing. Everything is coming to a head, and Christ is taking the throne. It is, it is finished, in a sense, here. So what is the outcome of, the, of truth in action? What does it look like? What, does it, what can it look like maybe in our lives too, right? Uh, praising God, a.k.a. worship. We see worship. In verse 5, from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Praise our God, all you servants. Well, how, how does that apply to us today? How can I serve God? How can I praise him? I can praise him through acts of service, right? And my life calling should look like a life of worship in the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever I do, work at it, not for myself, but unto the Lord. That's just Shane House paraphrased version. Um, serving and fear are two things that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fear the Lord. We're supposed to serve like we're serving the Lord. Making God a priority is what it means to fear the Lord. Putting him before ourselves. Understanding when we don't put him first that we should be a little bit, we should have some red flags up there because God can come back and set us straight. And he will set us straight because he loves us. And he disciplines those he loves. So we need to submit to his mission. What is the mission? What is God's mission? Well, you could say it's the same as the Great Commission, right? Go and tell the worlds. Tell the world. We're not in a multiverse, sorry. Uh, go tell the world and make sure you make disciples, right? It's not about us. It's about making disciples of Jesus. Also, one is the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity can be boiled down pretty much in those two simple principles. Learn how to love God, love, learn how to love your neighbor, and then go tell people about it, right? So it's love God, love others, make disciples, right there. It's our statement on the wall, and it's our statement should be in our hearts. So we need to remember why we serve. It's a mindset that says he deserves the praise. He deserves the honor, not I. We need to focus on Christ and not myself. So here, what's that look like? It looks like when your sibling's accusing you of taking the last donut or breaking their toy or what it may be, maybe it's uh, stealing or something to that, it's admitting what you can that you did wrong. Yep, um, you're right, I did do that. Yeah, I'm a terrible person, uh, but through God's grace, um, I was able to overcome that. Let me either, how can I, what can I do to make it right? So I want to pay restitution, right? Or um, my character will stand up under its own weight of your accusations, and I will be proven right. And I don't have anything to worry about. Because a man of integrity walks securely, right? right? Blessed is he who follows the Lord. That's what it says in the Proverbs. In Christ Jesus, we know we are victorious. Let us join the resistance to overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb. Let's continue on reading. Verse 6, chapter 19. And we'll go through 10. 
And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or a roar of a mighty ocean wave or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has given, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the linen, or for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, "Write this: Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb." And he added, "Those who are who the, these words are true that come from God." And then I fell down at my feet to worship him. But he said, no, do not worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is given is to give a clear witness for Jesus. I like that. The angel, very humble himself, set an example for John. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of this point. Jesus, or praise God, the Redeemer. When God came the first time, he became a Redeemer through his Son, right? When he came the first time, he came to redeem us. He came to pay for our sins. He, how did he do that? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony, right? So he spoke the truth, he spoke the law, he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the truth, and he sacrificed himself so that we, the shedding of his blood, um, covers all our sin, right? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so God knows that there needed to be a sacrifice. God was willing to give up his one and only son, uh, that we might have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Because judgment already lays on each one of us if we do not choose him, right? When we are born, the judgment of sin and death is already on us. And as we mature and we can understand that we need to surrender to him, we have that choice. And if we choose that, then we step out of that condemnation of death. But if we don't choose that, we stand condemned already. That's the Shane House paraphrased version of uh, John three eighteen through 20. If you want to look into it deeper, I would suggest you look at that. When he, when he comes back the next time, when he comes back the second time, the one we're waiting for, the anticipation now. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back to make all things new. And to make all things new, he has to wipe off the, the dross that has risen to the top, right? He is coming back to refine us. He's coming back to make us uh, whole again. And that is not an easy task because you have a God who's a loving God that's going to have to destroy part of his creation because they've been wicked and they've turned away from him. Does God want to do that? 
No. That's why he's given us such a long time now, this age of grace, that we can choose redemption through him, and that way we can um, step outside of that. But he gives us the choice. It is our choice whether we're going to go to hell or whether we're going to go to heaven. It's what we choose to do. And we see in verse 7, the, the lamb, the Passover lamb, I think this is a reference to, the redeemer, the only way to the Father, I believe, as Jesus shows us in John chapter 2, is the water and the wine, right? We see a wedding there as well. We see the water and the wine. So we have something that's good in water, something that is pure, that is created, and that's great, but we have something even better in the celebration with the wine. And that's, it shows the first creation, and it shows the next that is to come. And we have that joyous celebration. You see wine re- referenced quite a few times, especially in 17, 18, 19, um, because God is celebrating that wickedness is going to be taken out of the earth. And so we have a choice. Do we choose to continue to follow ourselves and to choose to be wicked, or are we going to choose to uh, be righteous and follow him, surrender to him, to follow his ways? And that's not an easy thing to do. When he starts this movement, we see water as life or cleansing, and Jesus comes to bring life and life to the fullest. We see this in John 10, um, verses 10 and 11. The thief's person purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Did Jesus do that? Yeah, Jesus did sacrifice himself for us, didn't he? By dying on the cross, and then three days later, he rose again, and he, was, he saved us from our unrighteousness. Did Jesus have any unrighteousness in him? No, otherwise he wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice. Right? And so if there's a God like that, I want to surrender to a God like that. I want to follow his example, and I want to change my life to reflect him. In Jesus, the cleansing of his blood turns us into a wine of celebration. Here in Revelation, verse 7, indicates Jesus the Savior is now the victor because the same power that brought us redemption... It takes life and turns it into joy. It's water into wine. In Revelation 19, we see Jesus and all his disciples at another wedding feast. It's his wedding feast. He's calling his bride. I'm coming. And if we're foolish in our Christian walk, we look at our wicks and we see the oil is low. And we turn to our friends and we say, give us some of your oil so that we will have what we need to get in. And God's going to, and the, the other ones around there are going to say, no, we don't have enough. We don't know if we have enough for you and I. So you're going to have to go to the market to go get that. And are we going to run to the market? Or are we going to be wise enough to have a full thing of oil and a reserve? That's what this life is about, folks. We're here to build up the oil, to build up our character, to reflect the character of Christ. 
to be made clean. The bride has been made ready, sacrificed for the good deeds as a result of the redemption. So do we do good deeds as a church? We want to, right? Does that earn us anything? Not on this earth, right? We're redeemed so that we can do good deeds, right? The good deeds are our rewards after the second coming, okay? He will reward us for that, but not before. We can't do good deeds to get to heaven. It doesn't work that way. That's it's like beginning of faith right there, okay? That is like very, very, very important. Um, and then we're made clean. So as we walk through our lives, do I continue to sin? I do. I'm a sinner. I'm a professional sinner. I think what they say to be a, an expert at something, you have to repeat the process 100,000 times, and then you can be considered an expert in the field. I'm an expert sinner. Um, I've repeated the process 100,000 times. And um, I'm not proud of that. I say that because I have a God who pours out his grace that forgives me 100,000 times. That's attractive to me. I can't do it without him. And that's why I choose grace first. And now I want to do the good works outside of that. Does that make sense? That's, That's like... Christianity 101 right there, okay? That's faith, the definition of faith in a sense. We choose God, and then our good works are results of. So we don't know if God's out there, but we walk with him, and then we see the results after we walk through it, okay? Because we can't see it. We hope it's going to be there, but we don't see it until after we look back and see what God's done for us, a.k.a. faith, okay? And then we're made clean. The garments in the Bible have to do with deeds. This was interesting to me. This is something I learned from Baruch. And as I look back through other scriptures, it fits really well. And it's told right here in chapter 19. Look at their garments. Their garments are their deeds. They're white and clean. They're presentable before God. They are not naked They are not ashamed. Nakedness has to deal with, I don't have anything to present to the Lord. I don't have anything as the result of his grace. Okay? I didn't develop my faith. Okay, that would be a naked, naked before the Lord. Okay? We don't want to see that. We want to see clothed. We want to see pure, white. Then in in verse 9, the angel says, Right this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Is it our wedding? No, it's not our wedding. It doesn't have anything to do with us, except for that we were invited. We get to see Jesus take his bride, okay? It is his. It is his wedding. We just happen to be participants as the bride of Christ, his church, right? But the emphasis is on him. And then he added, this is really important. These are true words that come from God. Okay, so first, let's look at the invitation. If you got an invitation, you're blessed. Praise God. Guess what? He pours out an invitation to everybody. If we respond to the invitation, it's like sending in our 
VP, we're going to be there. Then we show up. You got to show up. That's maybe Christianity 102. Got to show up. <laughs> God showed up for you. Now you got to show up for him. Okay? Um, remember, all are invited, but only few choose to come. You see that in the wide and the narrow road. Wide is the road to destruction. Narrow is the road to eternal life. Only few choose it, which we all have a choice. The word came from God, meaning all these words are factual and true. Everything he's seen, he's shown, is factual and true. Then look at verse 10. What's John's reaction? What's he want to do? Yeah, he wants to worship the angel, right? The angel's like, oh, no, no, get up, get up. I'm not deserving of that, right? Don't do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, you, you got it wrong. I know, I know I've, I'm, I've been standing in God's presence, so I, I'm giving off that Shekinah glory, but I'm not, I'm not the glory. I only reflect the glory. I, thought, I think that is so amazing of that angel. Why? Because I kind of feel like that's what happened to Satan. He got a taste of that glory, and he goes, ooh, I like this. I'm just going to keep that for myself. And then now I got somebody praising me? Oh, that's, that's nice. That's nice. No, that, that is our pride. That's what we want to do too, right? Satan, he uses the same tool against us all the time. You're doing, you're doing a pretty good job. Look at you. Look at you. Go along. Now, I'm not saying that we can't uh, give ourselves some encouragement every once in a while, right? But it's better for other people to encourage us and realize where those good things come from. Where do all good, pleasing, and perfect things come from? Our Heavenly Father, right? They don't come from us. We're not capable of goodness unless we have Christ working in our lives. Christ works in many people's lives. He can even work in people's lives that have their hearts hardened from them. All right. Worship only God. That is a good, that is a good instruction for all of us, right? Don't look to our own glory. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. We receive a reminder that only God is worthy of worship. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. That comes from a song that we sing. It also comes from the Psalms. John linked this wonderful vision to the person talked to him. The angel says, no, no, I'm like you. I testify like you do. I keep, Christ, keep up Christ's mission. Give him the glory. Allow everybody to see what he has done. Speak his message and worship God only. Only through God's redemptive work can we fulfill what we have, were created to do. His mission, tell others about Jesus. His message. What's a simple message that we could remember? That is his message. I think John 3.16 is a pretty good one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In another place it says, if God gave his best for you, how valuable are you? 
priceless to God, aren't we? It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? We are only deserving because Christ allowed us to be deserving. That's kind of blows my mind away. In Christ Jesus, we know we are victorious. Let us join the resistance to overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb. What does the resistance look like? Turn to verse 11 through 21. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. This is the beginning of the end, and then next week we'll talk about the thousand-year reign. I probably won't get as controversial as some do on that one. Um, We just studied that in community Bible study this week too, so that was fun. Verse 11, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there, a rider named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except for himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God. The Almighty, like juice flowing from the wine press, on his robe and his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high into the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horses and his army. And the beast was captured with him, the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast and the miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his faithful prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by a sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Wow, bright and teary. (laughs) When I see this, we see a mighty warrior. We see the groom coming for his bride. Well, you say, well, that doesn't, that, that's not there. I don't see what, how do you get that? Well, let me explain. All those people that are still left on the world, those are the ones that persecuted God's church. Those are the ones that were there and stood against the groom. Those are the ones that wouldn't come to the wedding feast. And God says, no. Um, open it up more. He opens it up to his bride, his church. And those people not only stood against the groom, they stood against the church. And they killed off the church. They, and it sounds great for Christianity, doesn't it? Hey, come be Christian, guys. 
It'll be fun. We'll die. Death comes to everybody, doesn't it? Don't you, wouldn't you rather live with a purpose than die not knowing why you're even here? When I am a Christian, I have an identity in Christ that I belong to him. And it gives me purpose and a place to go because Jesus Christ loves me. And so I can love him. Why am I here? I'm here to tell others about Jesus. And I want other people to know that he loves them too. It's not enough for me anymore to just get to heaven. That doesn't do it for me. I want to go and I want to take my friends, my church, and my family with me to heaven. You don't see a U-Haul pulling a hearse, right? You can't take your possessions to heaven, but you sure can take your family, right? So maybe it'll be a bunch of RVs, (laughs) right? Because we want them to know the love of God. But can I make that decision for my family? No, I can't. You can lead a horse to water, but only they can drink. It's your choice whether you're going to choose to go to heaven or not. Don't you want to live a life that is pleasing for the Lord? And don't you want to be right there in the action, walking by faith? I do. I want to be there. I want to be in the action. And it's hard. It's discouraging sometimes. But I know he's faithful and he's walking and walking with me. When we are actively walking by faith, then we are de- deepening our relationship with God. There is no greater joy. Verse 11, we see a joyous scene. We see a white horse a rider on a white horse. This is the real Messiah, okay? We saw a fake white horse in the four horsemen, right? And this was Satan trying to imitate Christ. This is a different this is a different white horse. This is a pure white horse. This is Christ coming back. He's victorious because back in the day, um, when you were victory, victorious in battle, you rode into town on a white horse. Faithful and true, this is in the future. He's coming to judge and to make war, bringing God's judgment. He is warning us of his judgment. We need to choose him. Verse 12, his eyes, flames of fire. Where do we see this? We see this in chapter 1, verse 14. The same eyes of fire, meaning that he is intense, he's powerful, he's all-seeing. We see many crowns on his head. He is the king of kings and lord of lords he is over all creation over all dominions over all the earth the heavens and what's under the heavens because he's created it all right he's deserved of our praise only he can comprehend his name and what's name synonymous with his character so we have god's character only he can understand it because only he's fulfilled it okay Think of it this way. Can anyone understand God other than God? Can we really get a grasp, a concept of God? We can't. We're finite. It's impossible. Verse 14 and 15. His army in fine white linen with white horses. They are redeemed. From his mouth comes a sword. God's word. We see, anytime you see a sword, we see a division. We see a division between the sheep and the goats. We see those that are following the Lord and those who are not following the Lord. 
Okay, the sheep would be his disciples, the goats would be cast into hell, right? And so from his mouth, we see that winnowing effect, and he is going to slaughter all those that do not follow him. They're going to send him to strike him down the nations, those who do not choose to believe, and he's going to rule them with a rod of iron. He tolerates no sin. Following, following God's character, we have a thousand-year reign that will reflect God's character. Everyone will know his character. Everyone will see and understand. He will release the wrath of God on his thigh. So in the back of the day, um, especially Abraham, you see this, God makes a covenant with Abraham um, by grabbing his inner thigh, right? If you're a guy and you grab your inner thigh, you better be pretty secure with yourself. And you better be pretty secure with the guy that's doing that because if you don't trust him, he can make it a world of hurt, literally, for you right there, right? That's what it symbolizes. Um, some people believe he's got a tattoo on the inner side of his thigh. I don't know. It says it's written down there. I don't know what that necessarily means. Maybe it is a tattoo. Um, his word is his bond is what that means. What he's written down for us to know, it's his character, it's a glimpse of his character, probably, because we can't really understand him all the way, because he is righteous. Verse 17 and 18, we see these birds um, that come down. It's an image of shame for those that are left on the earth. Where do we see this as well? It's mentioned in the story of David and Goliath. After they go through, they have uh, the birds come and eat all the Philistines, right? That's just the same image that's coming on here. Everyone will know what is right and what is wrong. They will stand. They're standing in the sun. God is revealing this is what that means. God doesn't care about man's accolades, folks. God doesn't care about our accolades. He only cares about that which reflects his character. Are we going to reflect his character? Verse 19, the end is written. The beast and the army, they tried, they lost. They are eternally rebellious. So God can't have them in heaven because their nature is one of rebellion. So he created hell so they can have what they want and be eternally, eternal rebels in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. They were cast alive in the fire and sulfur. Verse 21, Jesus said it did not come, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The sword is God's word. It is the great divider. We must submit to it. The birds were full. Why is the road to destruction? Same here. The death of the flesh. Die to self. Get rid of things of our nature that are that we want and think about God's heavenly nature and what he wants. In the Old Testament, we would see this as circumcision was the symbolism there. Today, we would call it the sinner's prayer. Um, another word would be justification, dying to self, surrendering to our Lord. I can't do this without you, Lord. I'm going to repent of my sins, ask you to come into my life. I surrender to you and your ways. And that begins that. 
journey. Why is John writing this? He is calling us to resist. He's calling us to something bigger. Remember, this is going to happen. It's going to come. Christ is coming again. Resist your, the devil. Resist your um, sin nature. Stand up for the Lord. Stand up for him in the little things so that when it comes to the big things, we'll have the chutzpah or the guts to stand for him, right? God tests us in the little things. How's your character in the little things? Because if it is lasting in the little things, it's going to last in the big things. You see somebody lose $10 that falls out of their pocket. Do you pick that up and keep it, or do you hand it up? What if it's $100? What if we see $100 laying on the street? We don't even see it fall out of their pocket. Do we keep it? Or we turn it into somebody? Do we go on to uh, the Bellevue now or Peoria or something or other and ask? Anybody lose $100? That might be today's rent. Lose a wallet. Doesn't have any identification in it. Sometimes we have to have the guts to stand up to our own selfishness, don't we? Why is he writing this? Calling us to resist, to stand up for the Lord. I'm going to close with this illustration. Back in uh, the 40s, we see something rise out of the chaos. We have this tactical push known as the Blitzkrieg by the Germany, Nazi Germany. They came into um, France, and France built this giant barricade, all their guns pointing at Germany, and they're like... There's no way they're getting in here. They put all their eggs in that basket. There's no way they're getting in here. You know what Germany did? I mean, yeah, they went around the wall. Duh. <laughs> right? There's this black forest that's up north of France, and they're like, nobody can get through the black forest. And Germany's like, oh, yeah? And they chopped down. They made roads, and they walked right through the black forest. And they came around that wall, and guess what? They couldn't turn their guns around. All their defenses were lost in the matter of about seven weeks. In England, they had to flee on the other side of the channel. We saw this not too long ago. The French soldiers uh, in a couple movies, and we saw um, the French soldiers, soldiers, they had to surrender or they were killed. And the people were all to themselves for about the next four years. There's very little organized resistance through the French government or anything of that nature. In that occupation, you had three types of people come forth. First, you had the collaborators. They saw the might of the Germans, and they said, well, we're not going to go against them. We're going to support them. We're going to sell our goods to them. We're going to make money off of Germany. There's plenty of power and things there. That's where we're going to go. And they saw the power. They saw who has it, and they walked to it. There's other people that were neutral. Well, we're going to listen to the radio. We hear that prime minister talking um, over in England. He says they're going to send people. They said be strong, but I don't really know if I want to stand up to these Germans, so I'll just wait and see. I'm going to wait and see. We call those the neutral people. And then we have the resistance. They fought back. 
They fought back in little ways, and they fought back in big ways. Sometimes it would be blowing up a bridge. Sometimes it would be something just as small as taking a traffic sign and turning the arrow so they go 60 miles in the wrong direction and waste 120 miles worth of gas. They resisted the occupation. They knew they were not free under the Nazi rule. Do you know how they identified themselves in the cities and in Paris especially? They put little white roses in their lapels. Did you know that? And they were the resistance. If you ever search white rose on the websites, that's what you'll find. You'll find um, sometimes our church and you'll find out about these stories. You know how many people follow our page that are kids of the White Rose Resistance? Because that's what they think it is. I put White Rose Kids, we used to have that for on Facebook, and a lot of them, we get a lot of them from France, we get a lot of them from Austria and things like that, because they, they, they were the White Rose Kids, they're the true White Rose Kids of the Resistance. And you know what this stands for? Today, it stands for peace, right? But in France, that was a symbol for, I can see if I can try to say it, victoire, which is victory. Because without sacrifice, there is no peace. Without resistance, there is no right. There's only wrong. Christ is calling us in Revelation to stand up for his victory that we know he has won. He has won the victory. We are facing a defeated foe. Christ has called us to join the resistance. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And who would know that better than the apostle Peter? He's the one that wrote that. He's like, dude, I, there was a lot of times I was going to go with, and, but I resisted, Right? And he fled from me. We know Jesus wants. We know that he finds, if he finds us faithful and pure in the end, he will call us children of God. Will you join the resistance? Will you fight for what's right? Will you face that addiction? Will you face the, the nagging maybe of the family reunions sometimes at 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 Christmas time? And will you come alongside them with love and respect and show them the love of Jesus? Because in Christ Jesus, we know we are victorious. Let us join the resistance to overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to come alongside and serve one another here at White Rose. We thank you that you have died for us and uh, rescued us from this present evil age. Lord, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you will um, watch over us, guide us, and direct us. You are faithful and just, Lord. We thank you um, because we fall short. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us turn from our selfishness and turn to your righteousness. Guide and direct us, lead us, and protect us this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.